Welcome to Friend Gentlemen here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Mine's Aaron Dugan. You can follow me on Twitter at the Aaron Dugan or Instagram Aaron underscore Dugan. My name is Stephen Godfrey doing a Braden Gall clothing impersonation. You can find me at 38 Godfrey on Instagram or Twitter. Can't see that. It's a visual. It's not a visual medium. Yeah, you did Buster Chops last year. I did. Yeah. For the visual medium thing, um, he has. A, I guess that means you've got okay. a. You're wearing a sweatshirt with a hat on. Is that like my thing that I'm known for? Is hat back? Aaron, back me up here. Is that is is backwards he not? Hat, he's pretty ubiquitous with a backwards hat. Yeah. If it said one eight hundred call Congress or something, it would be a Braden uh-huh. shirt. But yeah. it says Atlanta. It's actually, it's actually 202, um, 322-2012. Okay, and my daughters both know that number. Okay, when he worked, but at it Sirius- says call Congress. No, I know it, it's it's a. It's sort of yeah, an encouragement. It. It's an encouragement to folks. When Braden was at Sirius, if you don't know this, if you've never been to Nashville, the studio is on top of Bridgestone Arena downtown. And so you would go to like Bridgestone Arena to like buy tickets for a show or a hockey game or something like that. You would just see this dude shuffling around in a Mets hat like he lived inside the arena. That's how he every time I would come on the show, that's how you would come get me. It'd be like it was like the Baker Mayfield commercials like he lives inside Bridgestone <laughs> Arena. <laughs> I was thinking like the ghost of. The, the ghost of uh, Bridgestone Pass just yeah. walking around up there. Um, all right. On the show today, we'll, we'll touch on the rankings. Not a whole lot of news there. Um, I, I, is it okay to look ahead to Bama and Georgia after the losses for Auburn and A&M? It probably is. So we'll dive into that. Who should be more worried? Co- Coach of the year. I don't really care about like the award itself per se, but there are some guys doing some really good work. And I want to get your thoughts on, especially Aaron's thoughts on the Sam Pittman, the job he's doing in Arkansas, which is exceptional, of course, your alma mater as well, Lane Kiffin, probably coach of the year candidate as well. Just the, the job that these guys are doing, Josh Heupel as well. We'll talk Tennessee. I've got a theory I'm workshopping in real time about Jimbo Fisher that I okay. want to get both of your opinions on. We'll do that. The Bo Nix injury and what in God's name is happening in Gainesville. So we'll do all of that on the show today. But before we do, of course, Fringe Element is brought to you by the wonderful folks at... Wow, that came on quick. Um, should I do another kind of poem? What kind of poem can I do on the... Don't call your shot. Just surprise us. Yep. Um, what's it called when you do the It's Jasper's, letter? by the way. It's brought to you by Jasper's. Yeah. It's brought to you by Jasper's. When you do... Is it acrostic? Godfrey will know. A what? Across, is it acrostic when you do the first letter of each a word? If you can do that right now. <laughs> okay. Add, add, like, add, go. I'll, I'm, I'm just, down for this. Just average... Just we'll go active, just active sports fans proudly eating, 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 eating real eating, shit. Eating. There you yes! go. Yes! <laughs> that was that was what's what's better that of the haiku because the haiku is pretty damn good too. Are you kidding? That's the like that's the best one she's ever done. I know they're they're both amazing, Aaron. Spectacular. Oh. You can you're done today. You can take your out. Of the show. You're eliminated, gold standard. You're, right, you're done, gold standard. <laughs> Wow. Uh, go to Jasper's. The parking is free. They got new menu items. They've got fantastic drink specials for games. Uh, and of course, they do not play Christmas music until Black Friday because uh, the war on Thanksgiving Thank will, not sta- will not stand. This unchecked oh, aggression man. will not stand. The people, uh, the people in the mentions, like, or the people like on Instagram asking me questions, just I, I see your I see your trees and it is a front. It's too early. It, it's awful. It's too early. Uh, Jasper's just again taking a stand against some of the worst things in society. Uh, Mariah Carey season starts on Black Friday and not a day earlier. And Jasper's knows that, and that's why they don't play music until then. All right. Do y'all uh, get your tree? I have a couple, one more question. Do yeah, y'all get your tree on, you get your tree on Black Friday, Braden. You said that. Got we, go to, we go to the uh, one of two different Christmas tree farms here in Nashville. Yep. 
honestly, depending on traffic, either the Monday or Tuesday night, the following week after the kids get out of school, we pick them up, we get the tree, we come home, we do one night of getting it straight with the trimmings and stuff. And the next night they do the ornaments never, ever earlier under any circumstance ever. It, okay. It's our, it's our black Friday morning tradition. Like we wake up after Thanksgiving as a family and we go to the tree farm that's down, down the street in our neighborhood that's and we get the tradition. tree and we, and that way we never have to go shopping, uh, which I think is the dumbest thing in the world. Just Ooh, go, maybe to I'll get, one or go get a Christmas tree. My black, get- Friday, my black Friday tradition is uh, finding out how many sources of mine got fired while my kids watch home alone two four <laughs> times in an afternoon. <laughs> That's a wonderful tradition, Stephen. Um, Beautiful. All right. The only thing, look, Georgia 1, Bama 2, Ole Miss 12, A&M 16, Arkansas 21, Mississippi State 25 in the rankings. Excuse me. Don't think yep. it really, don't think, don't really think it means anything. I will say it does, it, and this is to the coach of the year conversation to some degree, who's done the best job. You know, the, the job that Lane Kiffin has done to have the third best team in the SEC at Ole Miss, you know, and to win as an underdog, along with Sam Pittman at Arkansas, you know, yeah. Mike Leach has got a couple of big wins at Mississippi State. Uh, there, there's some guys doing some really good coaching jobs and, and seeing Ole Miss and Arkansas from where they were a couple of years ago at 12 and 21 in the rankings to me is just worth a sort of a, hey, look at that. That's pretty impressive. Well, that's why those jobs are sought after. And that's why like people are asking me because Virginia Tech opened yesterday. Why not Shane Beamer? And, you know, South Carolina, I think, might actually be the hardest job in the entire Southeastern Conference. This is why you stay in the Southeastern Conference. It's because you wear the logo. I know Aaron just, again, the podcasting is a visual medium. Vanderbilt, like Candace Story Lee actually came out in the paper this week and said, hey, we are committed to an overhaul, a culture change that's going to be in basically an indeterminate amount of time. South and, Carolina and some, would like- And some renderings. And some yeah, renderings. Yeah, it's a beautiful. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, I'm kind of excited about that. Um, South Carolina- Show something. They want you to win yesterday. And yeah. you are across from a national title power and then also in the SEC. So that's why I think it's the toughest Yeah, to, to have the SEC logo. Is, this is my point. Uh, Arkansas, Ole Miss, South Carolina, the traditional have nots of this conference. This is why you stick around those programs. You take your lumps because the way talent, the way the market of college football players views the Southeastern conference right now in the last five to six years is that you're going to get, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt in any recruiting battle. If you're going up against a school that's outside of it. And this is why you stick around. This is why Chad Morris did a really bad job. This is why Matt Luke should not have been an alumni hire. These schools, even though they are never going to be national title winners are capable of more. I'm just digesting. (laughs) <laughs> I understand where I understand where you're coming from. And I, I know I made a face when you said it's the hardest job, but you're right. When you say that the expectation Vanderbilt just hopes to win sometime in the future, South Carolina, like you said, wants to win yesterday. So the, the difference I, do, is, I, I, I mean, I think there's 80,000 people that, well, there's 80,000 people at a game in, in Columbia. Yes. Correct. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to knock. Yeah. I, that's not a slight against South Carolina. What I just got, what I'm trying to say is like, if you're Shane Beamer, it might make more sense to stay at the really, really hard SEC job than to go to the place that your last name built in the ACC. That's what I was trying to say. That's the yeah. value of the Southeastern conference right now. That A&M game, Braden, uh, probably the most surprised I've been all season. I in an SEC totally, game. totally agree. I have yeah. asked, um, I have friends of mine on Twitter. You can check the at stats of stats of war. He's a TCU guy, but he, does all the college football EPA stuff. And I, I don't normally want to jump into the stats that I barely understand. Like I think I've said on the show before, I don't even understand war and baseball wins above replacement. Like I can't really define it to you, but basically they, they walked me through about nine different stats and it came down to the fact that this was, if, if you just think about it as a card game between two exceptional play callers, Jimbo Fisher 
and Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin had better cards on important hands and big bets. So that I'm, I'm, my metaphor can fall apart here, but basically red zone play calling. All right. Good distribution between good creative run plays and good creative pass plays. And Jimbo kind of called a bit of a stinker, honestly, because Mike, El- Mike Elko's defense did exceptionally well relative to Ole Miss's out- offensive output, especially across the 40 all season long. A&M's defense did a very good job. Well, in the in the red zone, they they buckled down pretty hard, and in the yeah. third, and in the third quarter, they were excellent and they fought back. You know, the the intercept, the first interception is pretty unlucky. Frankly, that's just a luck play. There's no metrics that define a guy having a football right. in his hands down by two scores with all the momentum, and all of a sudden it just flips, and he you know the ball falls into the other guy, the the backup linebacker's hands or whatever. Like that's just sort of a, a, an unlucky break. Um, I. I don't know. I, 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 I'm I with you that it was one of the most surprising things I saw all season. I, I thought for sure. And Vegas told us they, they said it was a two and a half point spread. So basically they were begging you to take the Aggies. I fell for yeah. it hook, line and sinker because I thought they would dominate both lines of scrimmage and they didn't. And so I, I was going to do the Jimbo Fisher theory later, but it, it's too appropriate now that we're talking about this. I want to see what you guys think about this. I don't, I haven't really fully worked it out and fleshed it out and figured out exactly what the thesis is, but we know that the offense is really slow from a tempo standpoint. We know that he's a pretty decent developer, but that there's been some questions about the speed and the tempo and the evolution of the offense. I, Mike Elko is a pretty good defensive coordinator. Yes. But, but this team recruits, they're the only team in the league that has the same level of athlete as Alabama and Georgia. And too many times it feels like this, like, I watched Derek Mason. We talked about it. Derek Mason can stop the, the up-tempo, modernized, nouveau chic offense. Alabama can stop the up-tempo, nouveau chic offense. Jimbo Fisher, it feels like, I don't know if it needs to modernize, if it needs to evolve. I don't know what the term is, but it feels like the entire program, although they have all the best players, mostly, when they go up against one of these Mississippi State Mike Leach offenses or Ole Miss, like they don't have it in that moment. And I don't know if that's a larger scale program problem or if it's just a tweak that needs to happen the way like Kirby's tweak things with Todd Munkin and Nick did it with Lane Kiffin. Like, does this question make sense about the holistic program that Jimbo Fisher is running? I don't want to make one game referendums. I would also point out that I still don't really believe that Todd Munkin is calling his offense. I think what Kirby has tasked Todd Munkin with is give us as much gain as you can with minimal risk because of the assets we have on defense and the ability to play bully ball. Uh, by the way, I, as I know I've made fun of the Heisman all year, but now Jordan Davis for Heisman, I'm on it. I'm, I, I care. I want that. Um, I think, I think he's in the mix. I mean, like as a voter, <laughs> good, good gravy. Uh, I don't want to make a one game referendum. So I'm going to say no, not right now. However, if this is a persistent trend, I'll How is it, it not way. already? How is it not already a well, but well, because because they don't have the right quarterback in. They trained a guy on the fly. I think they're running. They are also too trying to avoid risk, especially in road games in the conference. I don't think you're seeing the full benefit of their playbook. Um, if if this ekes into next season, then then yeah, I, I I would agree. As of right now, I think they're doing the best with what they have. He just called a bad game. The reason Braden, I consulted all these advanced analyst guys was I was so shocked. I was like, I'm not giving credit to DJ Durkin. I'm not giving credit to a woefully thin defense that has not really shown out all year with the exception of some games that are easily explainable. This was, this had to have been a Texas A&M uh, deficiency more than an Ole Miss uh, 
success story. Aaron, he has really uh, fought back against the Ole Miss defense <laughs> narratives all season, hasn't he? Williams and Campbell are both pretty good. Like, Wait pretty good. till the Egg Bowl. We'll get there. We'll get to the Egg Bowl in a second. Braden doesn't like when you get off of his... Yeah, don't get off the rundown. Oh, I love it. Are you kidding me? That's all. Yeah, I'm an agent of chaos. Stay on topic. Um, I don't know. Aaron, I, like, when you watch Texas A&M, do you feel like you're watching a 2021 dominant team with 2021 athletes doing 2021 things no I don't know why I don't know what the what's going to have to happen to make their roster live up to the potential that I think that we this level of talent has but it's just not there yet and I guess what y'all are saying besides the Jimbo calling a bad game where else in general are they missing the mark of living up to the potential that they like I think it's what else is it it's quarterback play See, I'm talking this, about the see. This is I'm talking about the defense here. I'm talking about the defense because Derek Mason and Auburn with yeah. better personnel disrupted Ole Miss's offense by just knowing how to attack a modernized offense. Alabama. Everybody's talking wait, about. So you're blaming Elko? No, no, I'm not blaming. Well, I mean, they gave up like 300 yards in the first half. I'm I'm just saying, I don't. I like Mike Elko, so it's not necessarily Mike Elko. And this is why okay. I'm work. This is why I'm workshopping it in real time here. Because I got I you. No, I got you. I'm, I'm here. I, what, what What is it about like Derek Mason? with those players that are probably less than A&M's defensive front knows how to disrupt the timing and the rhythm and the geometric pressure that the Ole Miss offense puts on you. Alabama mm -hmm. outside of Will Anderson, Alabama doesn't have better front seven personnel than Texas A&M, but they dominated the Ole Miss front on offense because they knew how to attack and do all the things, disrupt the rhythm and the timing and, and Lane Kiffin. Right. And we'll talk, by the way, like our guest today, John Talty, uh, ale.com. We'll talk about this with him that I, we just we sort of stumbled on. We just think Lane Kiffin had too much time on his hands that week, <laughs> and 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 like sort of tried to do weird things against Alabama, and it and it you know caught him. <laughs> Went outside well, I mean, of himself. They they right. scored twenty two points on offense, right? What what Ole Miss against Alabama? No, against A and M. Right. What I'm saying is they went up and down the field. There there wasn't like they ran the football like crazy. Ely and yeah. Connor were great. Like yeah. That was not the case against Auburn or Alabama. And AM has better front seven personnel, maybe than both of them. Why were they gashed? Why were they not like they they stood up in the red zone? I'll give you that. Mm -hmm. but, but and they were good in the and they made adjustments at halftime. They were good in the third quarter. But why so I feel like I, I feel like you're trying to do a math problem with like maybe half of the available data that you need to solve. And what I mean by that is is we're going week we're, again, we're doing we're doing weekly comparative analytics and it shifts every every little bit. The one thing that we find out, this is why, honestly, in my job, March is more important than November in terms of understanding things because you get time to actually speak with these coaches. You get to look as a at the a body of work at, at the season, right? You also find out who was hurt because one of the things that I think, especially in the Auburn game for Ole Miss that we might be finding out now was that the personnel was banged up, all right? And then... I think once you have a full set of performances against the team, uh, Braden, you ask us almost every week, who's where's the middle? Who's the middle here? Right? Like we're, we're constantly kind of pecking order. We said Texas A&M definitely Ole Miss somewhere around here with Arkansas. Right. Of course, now we have to flip that again. Once these things suss out, I think you're going to have a couple outlier aspects. And what we need to figure out is was Auburn's defensive performance against Ole Miss an outlier or was Ole Miss's offensive yeah. performance against Mike Elko, the outlier, because I think both are going to speak against the larger season trend by the time we're done. Yeah. That, that's a very complicated way of, of just saying 
Football is weird. Yet. Football is weird. It is. We just don't know yet. And I mean, honestly, I, 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 and I hate, look, I really hate to reinforce like pro SEC narratives. Like it's greater than everything else. What we are seeing now is an evolution towards an NFL like behavioral pattern from these teams executing week to week, right? In the NFL, the gap of talent is so small, even between the, the best team and the worst team that it really does come down to schematics, play calling and situational stuff week to week. It's really, that's the whole, any given Sunday yeah. mantra, right? Yeah. Yeah. We are seeing a progression towards that in the Southeastern conference. This stuff uh, flip things being flipped on its head every week to week. Exactly what you're saying, Godfrey, which is just the level of the le- level of talent being so high that schematics is the main thing we continue. We're already seeing coaching pressures at an all time high in the sec. Do we just continue? continue to see those coaching pressures go up and up as exactly what you're saying comes into like comes to fruition. I think it's possible. Yeah. I mean, I I'm, I'm noticing just in the ether, I saw a column at slate. I, I'm starting to see national media that aren't in sports talking about how like, wow, we really don't have a lot of patience for college football coaches. And I'm like, dog, where have you been for the last yeah, decade? For real. It's ah, already no, happening. What? Yeah, yeah like, Aaron, it's a great question because I think it's tr- it's probably true. But like, I'm with Stephen on this too. Like, I how could it get any higher? Yeah, <laughs> like we just talked about South Carolina, literally never winning anything for a hundred years, and still right. ninety thousand, eighty thousand people show up every single week expecting success, and like that is the definition of you know, pushing the boulder up the hill when, uh, you know, millions of dollars you, are at stake. You know, th- this, this is more of an off season conversation, but I do think it informs how you look at the South Carolinas of the world, how you look at the old misses of the world. When you promote a brand, the way the sec started doing 25 years ago, and now it is integrated into the actual official marketing of ESPN and the sec. Everyone who identifies with that brand as a consumer of South Carolina, of Vanderbilt, of Mississippi state, et cetera, expects that standard. In other words, for 50 years, people talked about the Big Ten, but the expectation was that Michigan and Ohio State and, you know, maybe Penn State after that, they were going to be the dominant brand. Purdue did not ever walk around as a fan base and beat about the Big Ten. That's not we've changed the way in which we have a value proposition of our teams. And now the other scary thing is you're seeing other conferences emulate the SEC, both in terms of their function and their form. But in that sort of like conference identity thing where everyone expects well, to be the Florida or the Alabama. I, I think it goes far deeper than what you're talking about. Just marketing and expectations. I think <laughs> I think regionally the South has a very specific view of itself through the lens of college football because they didn't have a lot of yes. pro teams. They, this is the thing they care the most about. And again, the, the difference between the Big Ten and the SEC is not dollars. It's not finances it's not money it's that the 12th or 13th toughest place to win in the sec has a packed stadium and the 13th best job in the big 10 does not <laughs> like i think it's all and that and personnel I, well again but that again what what drives personnel acquisition commitment to winning right and that comes from pressure from fans because right. they're the thing they love the most down here is their college football team that's it it's it and it, it just means more thing is just the utter simplification of the fact that like we as the south this is what our thing is this is our thing right Don't take our but thing but it's always but, but, but more but than everybody when else. you pick that up it just means more has always been double-edged it's 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 a literal oh, no. it's almost a double entendre at this point and if you embrace it as your official marketing slogan you have to live with the crazy and negative and nasty side of it just means more 
which is South Carolina facing a $60, $70 million budget shortfall and writing Will Muschamp an absurd check that he should have never, he didn't deserve in the first place. You have to live with those realities. It's, it's your dad, what, like almost missing his own wedding, basically, right? Yeah. He flirted like, with missing it. Flirted with missing it. He flirted it, with missing it. It's spend, uh, it's spending money there. when you're not supposed to. Okay, that's good. That's he, good. He did show up. Um, he showed up. No, there's no question about like the Alabama fan shooting somebody after a game. Like, right. as part of the it just means more thing. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not suggesting that it's healthy. I'm not suggesting that it's right. I'm just. You we know. just tend to we tend to gloss these things over, like Raider Nation, right? We're talking right, about Raider. Right. I've been to a Raider game in Oakland. Not appealing. I've been scary. to a Raider game in Nashville and I was terrified. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me when you're, when you're out at Alameda, it's like, it's, it's a different thing. So, so I don't, I don't know if we solved anything on Texas A&M. Um, I do think to the, to your, the conversation the three of us have had in the past about the middle. And I look at Ole Miss and Arkansas and Mississippi state and Kentucky and Tennessee and Texas A&M, like to your point about the NFL, it's good football. It's not great football. But it's pretty good football, and there's a lot of balance in there from right. team three to like team ten. And I'm not going to include maybe Missouri or South Carolina or Vanderbilt, but like otherwise, it's pretty tightly packed three through ten. Or the middle is better. The middle is less of an insult than it. Not that the middle of the SEC is really an insult, but it's less offensive than it once was. Like that middle sector is is higher. There's almost a gap between the middle and the very, very bottom now. And there's, it's not, it's not flowing through that middle is way closer to the top than it was in the last couple of years. So when, when I ask coaches about this, so again, I go back to like, you know, Virginia tech opened yesterday and the Beamer thing just finds its way into the media. And a lot of it is just honestly lazy media going Beamer, Virginia tech one-to-one, right? Coaches will tell you it has absolutely nothing to do with anything that we're talking about. It's that if you're at South Carolina or Mississippi State, you have access to and the chance to get better talent at just a couple key positions, NFL offensive linemen, NFL defensive linemen, and then a smattering of other positions. And that's really all they're looking at. And, and oh, by the way, if you get fired, you make like $20 million. Yeah. The the wind, So the, the narrative has reversed on, well, man, you're only going to be there two and a half years before they fire you to – well, if I'm with CAA or athletes first, I'm going to have a six, seven, eight, ten million dollar buyout. So, oh no, I'll go OC somewhere. You know, again, Will Muschamp is not the worst coach in the history of the world. He's the best coach in the history of the world. He's making fifty million dollars to not coach over the last ten years. Dude, he's literally smarter, sitting, not harder. Oh, he's the epitome. He's sitting around yes. Georgia's football office right yes. now. Like, did we talk about this at one we, point we on the did. show? We talked about it. Like, paint, like you did. he has the greatest life in America he right now. He said something about him maybe drinking beer at like noon on a Tuesday or something. Yeah, like, why not? And you guys know, you guys know Houston Nut. Um, I worked with Houston Nut for a long time. And it, like, that guy just like walks around having a blast living a buyout life. Like, and he'll talk mm-hmm. about it. He'll just be like, yeah, got that buyout life. Like, One would argue he got that buyout life because he just walked around the football facility having a blast. <laughs> that's, that's also probably true. I've also been in a car with him where he's blasting Michael Jackson on his cell phone, trying to get the, the entire car to, to dance to, to Michael Jackson while driving Good through Louisiana. Just, just, just fantastic, man. I love that Wild. guy. Um, Horror movie starts. Spe- speaking of, uh, yeah, exactly. Speaking of the sort of the middle of the pack, teams, you know, pressure to win, coaches. I, I have a question about Tennessee. Uh, nothing about the game, uh, although they did score more points than anybody else did against Georgia. My question about Tennessee, and I don't know if this is fair or if it's a curse for me because I cannot physically miss the forest through the trees. Like, I, even when I try, I can't. 
Tennessee fans right now are very excited about their coach. They're very excited about their team, yeah. the job he's done this year, and they should be. Uh-huh. If, they be if they beat South Alabama and Vanderbilt, they're going to go seven and five and have a heck of a season. Aaron, when is the right time for me to then start talking about the the only th- reason that the thing with Mullen is happening at Florida is because he can't get good enough players to beat Alabama and Georgia, and there is no indication or evidence to tell me that Josh Heupel eventually will be able to get the same levels of players at A&M, Alabama, and Georgia. That's the that's the forest, and I can't miss that part looking at it because big picture and short picture, like sh- short term and long term, to me are very different for Tennessee right now. A lot of positives in the short term. I have major questions about the long term. Am I just poo-pooing their party this year by trying to bring that subject up? When is it too early to start talking about, well, but their only problem against Georgia was they don't have good enough players. And my question is, they're sixth in the SEC East in recruiting right now. Sixth in the East in recruiting right now. When, when is that? Is that? I, I don't see Josh Heupel turning that around necessarily. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you all know, know. better than anyone that recruiting. I understand the concern as a Tennessee fan, and you don't want to – you you have this glimmer of hope, and you're not ready to have your dreams crushed again. But we all know how recruiting goes. It, it takes one guy, one particular guy, to swing three others. I mean, you just don't know. I mean, as every all of us have been around National Signing Day as it happens, and unexpected things happen all the time. So, yes, I understand your concern, but I – also do feel that it's a little bit early. He hasn't had a full go at it at an SEC program. We know his history with recruiting in the past isn't the strongest, but he's a good coach. Um, it feels a little early, but I, I I do understand your concern, but all of that can change on a dime, especially when high school kids are making decisions and Tennessee's had a, I mean, I mean, this has been an impressive season for them. So maybe a little early, but I would give okay. them, I would I would give him this off season into next year. God, Godfrey, you made a weird noise. <laughs> you hate that? No, no. Oh no, not I think your he response. Hates me. I, I think no, he hates me. no. Yeah. I'm, I don't hate. I don't hate you, Brayden. Um, How many of us do you hate? Here's two. No, listen. Just, here's the thing. You Josh asked Heifel- if. Wait, it just hang on. I just okay, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna rebut this. You asked as like like on behalf of the Tennessee fan base. How long should we enjoy the possibility of going seven to five? Amidst, amidst everything that has happened in the last 15 years at Tennessee with what's potentially looming still above you. And you're asking, when should we start folding our arms and saying, Josh Heupel, when are you going to beat Alabama on the reg? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. That's not what I'm saying. What, what I'm are sa- you saying? What I'm saying is that it is a curse for me to even think this way, but yeah. it's what I saw against Georgia. And against Alabama and against Florida, which is yeah. a very well-coached team that mm-hmm. fights hard, that likes playing football with each other. Here's the thing. Josh Heupel right now today has accomplished everything I thought he was going to accomplish. Like, I thought he was I thought he was a professional adult that was running a professional adult program, which they haven't had in a couple of years, who, who knows how to run a professional offense like, like an adult. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing all of the things I expected to see out of a Josh Heupel coach football team. So what's the problem? I'm also seeing exactly what I expected out of a Josh Heupel recruiting football coaching staff. And, and, and that I still think eight and four for three straight years eventually is not good enough at Tennessee. And you I, need to, you need to be eight and four for three straight years before we have this conversation. Also, this could, this could also okay. have something to do with exactly what we're talking about in the middle tier of the SEC. Everybody wants in on it, but now there isn't this this separation. Like you have all of these teams, except with the exception of um, Vanderbilt and South Carolina, that are actually performing at this 
more elite level, that's going to make recruiting thinner across the conference, at least for, I mean, I guess Tennessee has been in the bottom tier for a while now, but they have a history (laughs) of great recruiting. Do we think things, I mean, things get spread out a little bit more. Like people are tweeting me, Tennessee fans are like, oh, we'll just go to the transfer portal. I'm like, that's not a long-term strategy. That's not, it's great for right now because of the NCAA problems and the roster depletion. And it's great for right now. It's fine. Can y'all just ever be normal. I I'm just not, have I'm like not speaking... limited sympathy, obviously, because of my alma mater. But y'all just need to chill. <laughs> Can the Tennessee F just no, no, be this normal? Is, this for is not a week. No, no, no. This is not a Tennessee fan problem. This is a me problem. I am not acting as a Tennessee fan. I am actually acting too much as a media member who's trying to see the big picture here. Which is, again, I have how st- help me then. Let's do some therapy. The sample size isn't big enough. <laughs> that's fair but give me some therapy here and tell me how do i start to how do i enjoy the moment more i'm sorry i'm not paid well enough for that so (laughs) yeah but do you Uh, see but i practice presence of mind and practice being in the moment i mean if you literally like it's it's funny you joke about the therapy thing but basic like basic mind consciousness theory if you want to talk about it with therapists especially our generation people who are anxious all the time millennials who are constantly digitally bombarded practice mindfulness and being in the moment if you're a tennessee fan don't constantly think about what might be living with the ncaa or why recruiting is bad enjoy <laughs> they are what actually one win away from a bull eligibility right yeah just don't, enjoy it. So basically, you just said, "Don't worry about the three giant monsters in the closet under my I bed." Think yes, because, because you mind cannot control and trauma that. therapy would both be beneficial for Tennessee fans. I think there's a <laughs> yes. couple of different things. Well, that would you can't control that. What's What's weird is I, and this is what's ironic about this conversation. I think Tennessee fans are doing that. I think they are living in the moment. I think they are appreciating what they're watching and they're enjoying it and they're seeing. So don't knock them off their cloud, Braden. Let I, them it's live a, it's there. A, I know. I, I agree. I, and I do this really well with my kids, actually. Like, I'm very good at being in the moment. And like, when I'm with my kids, I am, we, you know, we go get lost in the woods and we go on a hike and I take deep breaths and I don't talk and I soak it all in and I burn those memories into my brain. Like, I'm very good at that. But, do that. But I can't do because I'm not as this job makes me look at Tennessee big picture and I can't not do that. So there I'm is sorry, a Tennessee there was a conversation going around college football media yesterday before the rankings came out about this like funneling of all narrative to the playoff. We talk about this sometimes on our show. Essentially, you're doing the same thing because there are 130 and eventually there's going to be like 145 FBS programs. And we've said this a thousand times, maybe 25 of them ever have a legitimate shot in our lifetime of winning a college football national championship at the FBS level. And Tennessee, the problem at Tennessee they're not. They should be. They have but been. They're not gonna. Okay. Mm, that, now who's, the reason now why who's this raining, is, now who's raining on their parade? Because here's the deal. I can have this conversation with a Purdue fan or a Wazoo fan, and they get it. Tennessee won the BCS in 1998, and they'll never leave it alone. The problem is this is one of the programs that's hardest to have this conversation with. It's just like Nebraska. No, it's not. I, everybody brings Why? that comparison up because the six-hour recruiting base for Knoxville is f- extraordinarily fertile. If you say Atlanta, I'm going to laugh at I you. I said six-hour radius, which is the stock. Cool, West Virginia. Let me know. Maybe the Alves no, that goes, messing with you. You can get almost to Jackson in, in, in Mississippi in six hours. Do like you seven know hours. how many schools Tennessee – Like I get it. Yes, you're right. Go go to Jackson, Mississippi. Richmond, I'm Virginia. I'm somewhat familiar with. Charlotte, go, North Carolina. Go all right. Go to Charlotte, Ohio. Fight, go to Ohio. Fight for a four or five star kid 
at as the University of Tennessee that is wanted by <laughs> Ohio State. I can't believe this. Georgia, <laughs> Alabama, <laughs> Auburn. We've switched LSU. roles now. Are, am I now defending Tennessee and you're attacking Tennessee? Did we just switch I'm telling you, no, I'm, I'm telling you to be happy with what's happening <laughs> now and stop trying to apply a long view to Tennessee. Also, I, I nothing, be nothing more exciting than a drive from Jackson, Mississippi to Knoxville. <laughs> Sign oh, me up. <laughs> Through yeah. Gadsden, Alabama, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> nope. But the, the no. again, I because I, I see the Nebraska and the Tennessee comparisons all the time. And the difference is Nebraska has no players like there's nobody within six hours of Lincoln, Nebraska. But they have, you, have, you have a better coach right now than Nebraska does. Do you feel better? I, I don't stop saying you and, and putting. All right. Me sorry, no, I mean, like the obje- I mean, like the objective, like if you're a Tennessee fan right now, yeah. you have a better coach than Nebraska. I mean, the previous guy did much better at UCF than the guy at Tennessee. did. <laughs> Frost was it- better at UCF than than hypo was so seems like tennessee is enjoying playing together soak it up maybe the yeah. guys will do a better job of recruiting each other because they actually like playing football at tennessee yes. we shall see i have one thing to actually add to this and i just Quit and, and, I don't, the and then can we not talk about Tennessee? yes yeah, let's move on <laughs> my wife and her friend went to the titans game this weekend like as a get away from the kids there have a couple beers go to the titans game. her nice. friend's a saints fan my wife's from louisiana um the uh, the uber driver is related to a Tennessee player. And she t- tells this story to my wife. And my wife's like, oh, you know, my husband is a sports writer. And then unsolicited, this woman starts talking about life at Tennessee football behind closed doors. And I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. She said, I'm now your saying wife, your, this wife is a, your wife is a source now. You got I it. I love this shit. Uh, <laughs> she comes home and tells me this story. And she's like, she and she doesn't, she's like, the guy, and I was like, Pruitt. And, she, and she's like, yeah, and now the coach is. And I'm like, Heibel? <laughs> the bottom line is it's funny because this Uber driver inadvertently confirms everything I've heard. And Aaron's right about players recruiting players. Tennessee fans should be happy about one thing. And that's that these players are happier than they ever have been in their collegiate careers. They are playing hard in a fast and fun system that scores points. And they're seeing a return on investment immediately per game. They're the first team and the only team probably this year that will script a drive to beat Georgia's defense in the first quarter. They did that. Jeremy Pruitt is a miserable human being to quote unquote work for because that's what you do when you're in the SEC. That's why these kids should be paid. It's a job. Tennessee has changed all of that interior culture around immediately. You should celebrate that. I, I, it, was I, it was really quick. I, I agree. Well, again, this is because, and not to relive the last three years, it was so freaking obvious how awful the former Pruitt decision was by the power brokers in Tennessee, yes. but let's not go back to revisit that because we've already danced on that. that well, it was real fun to tell you all that, like to tell, not you brain to tell the fan base that at the time, because they definitely listened oh, to me. Dude, it was, you talk about like social media bombardment and this, the oh. mental, that was one of the worst two years of my, two weeks of my entire career. Uh, let's just, uh, I'll, as a Tennessee alum, having to tell Tennessee people that this is not right. And it's not going to work. And you're acting like a bunch of idiots. It is uh, the worst. That is the was not worst fun. situation to be in is when you tell us, when you tell a fun. fan base, in the in the immediacy in the SEC of a hire, like hey, this isn't going to work. Yeah. When when the coach really is like zero and zero, it is the yeah. it is the worst time to work in yeah. the media for sure. So well, at least it, these guys that are happy right now have with twenty twenty and the the red shirt rule, like half of them have five more years of eligibility. So <laughs> maybe the the happiness will spread. This is uh, it was this so is a funny. good point. This is a really good point. It, what you are telling, and this is where we, I think we diverge and we need to move on. But I look at Mississippi State at twenty at twenty five, and, and and I'll try to spin this out to the other teams. Yeah, I look at Arkansas. We talked about South Carolina and expectations. Ole Miss at number twelve, Mississippi State at twenty five, having a decent season. What are Auburn fans going to do if they're seven and five at the end of the year? 
They're not going to be happy. They're not going to be happy him. with it. And that is where Tennessee fans and that program should be. Hey man, whether, whether you like it or not, they do no. not. Seven and five is not good enough at Tennessee. Okay. Eight then I'll put, I'll, I will spend the money and put billboards across the South. That says, don't act like Auburn. It's like, don't, don't ever smoke meth. Not even once. That was like, don't ever <laughs> act like Auburn <laughs> once. ever, ever, ever. No, I'm, Auburn, I'm, I'm, not even once. I know. I know. Uh, but the reason to act like that He's is probably not vaccinated. He's probably not vaccinated. Okay. Will, I, I will ask on... John Talty later on in the show today, yeah. what will happen on December 8th? And he will give you an answer. Just wait. If y'all think it's, y'all think it's a silly season right now. What's coming, it could, could, has the potential to be the actual perfect storm. Fringe Element Aaron Dugan is brought to you by Jaspers. Take a magical ride to Tasty Town. Wow. That was excellent. One of your best ones yet. I still have no clue how you do that. Each and every time we ask you to do it. So. I don't either. That honestly, I could have ended up right then with a <laughs> copyright thing. Cause doesn't Guy Fury say Flavor Town? Who says Flavor Town? Uh I don't know. All I see is who is is it Will Farrell on the rainbow in Anchorman where he's like and it's Christina Applegate and she's like, take me to Pleasure Town. And they're like riding on the rainbow. I don't oh my know. God. Why. Any Will Farrell reference, I will I know you're not comparing me to him, but I'm going to pretend because I love him. Oh, yes. I think you're equally as funny as Will Ferrell. No question. 0% chance, but I appreciate <laughs> you. About it. Uh, go to Jasper's, everybody. You guys know the parking is free. The menu's great. They got great happy hours for um, happy hours. <laughs> happy hours. Happy. For- okay. Yeah. I know you're in your Packers gear right now, but my God, <laughs> what happened? Uh, yeah, Actually, I, weird. I'm wearing my Titan stuff. My, wearing my, Packers. Was, my Wisconsin came out there for a second. It doesn't I come out. That. It does not come out very often. Uh, it's it's really funny. Like I can't listen, even though I'm a Southerner and I've been here for 25 years and I'm pretty much a Southerner. Like I've lived, I'm 39 years old. I've lived south of the Mason-Dixon line for 35 of them. So I'm basically a Southerner. But every now and then I, the Wisconsin accent comes out. I cannot listen to like the super hardcore redneck accent. My wife cannot listen to Midwest, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Chicago. She can't listen to those accents. She also, feels the same way about that as I do about like like, you know, super redneck guy. I feel like Minnesota would be offended by being compared to Wisconsin and Wisconsin would also be offended by being compared to Minnesota. There's very subtle differences. Wisconsin's like not beer. that different. No, they're very different. No, the accents are not that different. Like, they're oh, very I feel subtle. Like, they are. like the Wisconsin Badgers go to Madison and watch the. Badgers oh, yeah, I guess they're OK. Then you go to Minnesota, don't you know? And there's just a don't you the know? Those are different. They're just a it's a subtle difference. But my I, my wife cannot listen to that. That, <laughs> that voice sorry midwesterners who are listening to this anyway Oops. go to jasper's uh great drink specials uh great happy hour they got some new menu items of course as well i've tried the very big giant enormous cheese sticks they're literally like two feet long um my kids loved it i loved it it was absolutely fantastic and delicious it's one of the new menu items there's new flatbreads we talked about as well lots of good stuff always on the menu that death pack cat is rolling out big stick guy you're you're listen you're Big into quantum physics. I am big into sticks. It's fine. It's one is better than the other. Um, <laughs> yes, cheese. cheese and Jasper's greater. will not play Christmas music if you're against this kind of thing until the day after Thanksgiving. So don't yeah, fret. Yeah, we had that conversation. Um, Adam Adam Vingen brought his wife and newborn son onto the Gold Standard podcast, which you should go check out because his wife starts playing Christmas music like the day after Halloween. 
And Adam has is very anti-Christmas decorations or music until after Thanksgiving. I personally also am trying to fight the back against the war on Thanksgiving because it's really not a war on Christmas. Christmas has overtaken all other fall holidays. Mm-hmm. I, I Thanksgiving is my favorite day of the year. It is. Football. I love Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's football, family, food. You're drinking. And there's not as many expectations as Christmas. Oh, no pressure of giving and getting gifts. Like you're just there to be grateful that you're with your your loved ones, which I think is wonderful. And my mom's stuffing is is I would say the only thing better than Deb Peckett's cooking is my mom's stuffing. That's the only Ooh, thing. Ooh, we should have a stuffing off. Okay. Because <laughs> I think my mom's is great. I'm glad you call it stuffing. I don't because it actually goes in the bird. It actually goes in the bird. Oh, you put it in the bird. Yeah, that's why it's it's called stuffing. Well, we don't eat it in the bird. Well, no, you don't eat it. But some people cook. call it dressing. Right. And that generally is not cooked in the bird. You cook it, you cook it in the bird and then you pull it out. And but we have stuffing it. that's not cooked in the bird. I don't think it, I don't think you can call it stuffing then. Legally, like legal. I think you could be arrested. Oh, you think that. there's a legal yeah. <laughs> element to this? You think legally you can't call it that? That's I think super I, interesting. I think it's a misdemeanor, but I think it's illegal. Yeah. I don't think it's well, like, a, I don't think it's like a heavy crime. Won't go on my permanent record. <laughs> no, probably not. Okay. But anyway, anyway, like I'm with Adam. My daughters and wife, we go get a Christmas tree on the on Black Friday morning. We go pick out a Christmas tree, and that's when Christmas starts for us is after Thanksgiving because Dad loves Thanksgiving, and so I'm not going to allow the war on Thanksgiving to ruin my November. And Jasper, now I'm not going to allow you speaking in the third person to ruin my day. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Jaspers immediately when they heard the show last week texted me and said, "Yeah, we don't play music until after Thanksgiving." And I said, "Good job, Jaspers. You, you, Mariah Carey season be- begins on Black Friday, not a day before." And that's that okay. is Where good. To pres- I I kind of just let people do their own thing. I'm like I don't really care. I'm not gonna get my panties in a wad about it, like Adam Bingen. But no shock there that he's all distraught about something minuscule. Well, it's, um, it's, it's in his house though. He has to live list because again, I can't listen to Christmas music for that long either. I know. Well, three, I also don't have of, to. Two months. No one really affects me that much in terms of like, ho- like until I go home and see my yeah family. I live alone in an apartment, so no one like you're not gonna force it on me because you can't so we'll see also side note try the chimichanga oh yeah new menu item right yes Re- read off what is in that that ridiculous chimichanga do you have that in front um of uh hold on i can hold on Let's see i can i can talk about uh how much every single menu every single item in this chimichanga is my wife's favorite food it is okay here here are Haley's favorite foods and the ingredients of the west end chimichanga a flour tortilla stuffed with smoked chicken, queso, black beans, served with smoked white bean sauce, tomato jam. Oh, now, oh. the second half of this will really start to mess with your head because this stuff sounds very gourmet and very good. Tomato jam, feta cream, avocado smash, and mixed what? greens. Wow. And you said, Haley likes onion, you said, so. If, if they added red, red onion, I think that would be like eight of her favorite food items all combined into one thing, which is also one of her favorite food items, a chimichanga. So go try, so, the, new, so go try the new menu items. Uh, you also can buy gift cards, of course. They'll give you a $20, $100 gift card. They'll give you a $20 gift card for yourself. So if you buy a gift for somebody else, you solve that uh, Christmas supply chain problem and you get a gift for yourself as well. They might even give you 20% off. They've got flash sales as well to go with, you know, all the free parking and all the great new menu items and all the drink specials and all the happy hours and all that great stuff. So go check out Jasper's, go to Jasper's. We love Jasper's because they don't play Christmas music before 
Thanksgiving. Take a flight to Tasty Town. Can I can I float something to you? Go. Brian Harson, if it wasn't for the state mandate in Washington, I would not be surprised if Brian Harson took the Washington job. Yeah, no, I I or what are you looking for me to say that that's like too crazy or something? Is it too crazy? If not, no, your statement is factually accurate. Correct. If not for the state, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brian Harson coaching. Let me put it this way. This is what I'll say. We he, he tested the and I got in trouble that. last week because I <laughs> smiled at the idea of Lincoln Riley because I said they were going to make a big hire. Wow. Shout out to Tiger Droppings. What a news breaking thing. Here, shout out to Tiger Droppings. Okay. Yikes. There is a less than 0% chance that Brian Harson is coaching somewhere else or not coaching Auburn next year. Because it's because it's Auburn. Actually, that's not fair. That's not fair. So there's not a chance he got his toe. He dipped it. He, he waded into the SEC waters and said, hmm, like like Gary Anderson at Wisconsin, who just like decided to go to back to the West Coast. Like he just is like, oh, this SEC thing is not nearly as fun as I realized it was going to be. <sighs> well, there's no vaccine in those waters. That's for sure. Um, yeah, um, you're you might be. Yeah, I, I know you're making a joke, it's, Braden, yeah. but you you might actually be right. I, I will say this. Just as a, if you're listening to this and you might be hiring a coaching staff in the near future, don't do the thing where you make a concession that you're going to bring like half of your your guys, and then you're going to hire guys who are suggested to you, big finger quotes, <laughs> by the school who are, might be alumni or something like that, and then expect them to work together because you know what you end up with: ten men on the field when you're trying to come from behind against Georgia State at home. Okay. When you come, if some say, okay, well, when we get someone new at Auburn, would it behoove them <laughs> listen, to listen to us talk? I <laughs> know this is when we get us. someone new at Auburn. I'm now crawling under my desk so I don't get murdered this week. You'll be fine. It's everything's fine. Do you leave in place the things that are working? I know coaching staff has the the history of just clearing house, but you have mm-hmm. a couple things in place that are actually working there. If you they cleared it. hard, if, if for, let's just say the vaccine thing plays out the same way it did for Rolovich, you're saying they got rid of Harson. Obviously his staff would go immediately, but I do think that to your point, Aaron, for recruiting consistent, there's some Auburn alumni on that staff. Go, go look at the staff. Like yeah. and it's um, already yeah. a mashup. It's not like loyalists of that all came together. Like, it's, no, and that's the problem. It's an SEC mashup already. Yeah, and I think that that was the major concession. This is, by the way, is not an Auburn problem. This has happened for years. This was allegedly one of the issues that drove Billy Napier away from Auburn last cycle. That's not discussed a so lot. It, but- it's not a Harson problem. It is an Auburn problem, is what you're saying. Yeah, well, no, I'm saying like, but other schools do this. Like, yeah, LSU. Uh, famously, Seth Luttrell was like five seconds away from taking the Kansas State job, and they were like, we can't just bring your whole staff. Oh, and yeah. That, that's a killer for a for- lot of, like, there's a lot of coaches who are just like, no. Again, I go to Virginia. Virginia is the most perfect example. They they found an established guy who had won like a hundred games at BYU, and he let him bring his entire staff with him to Virginia. And and, and they, now they and now they they play better football than I've ever seen. And now they've got a chance to compete for the division title. In the that's ACC, what I'm saying. They so. they sorry they play better Virginia football yeah, than I've ever yeah. seen in my life. Yeah, that's a good. It's too head too over my skis there. I needed that adjective. What, what's also the word allegedly? I this is such an ADD comment, and I'm sorry, but I can never hear the word allegedly without Chris Childers using it consecutively twice in a row every time he says allegedly about uh allegedly about Bob, about allegedly Bobby, it was about Bobby had Petrino. an accident yeah it was about Bobby Petrino's motorcycle <laughs> alleged motorcycle accident that may or may he not allegedly, have actually allegedly had a motorcycle something. accident Chris Childers is is um 
He's right to use allegedly. I know in, in an exaggerated <laughs> we, manner. We, Twice. We're all, we're all with aware. regard to that. We're all aware of what actually happened to Bobby P's neck. We know, okay? He's going to be so happy that we talked about him for 30 seconds. How, I, I don't understand uh, how that has there hasn't been an investigation. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> I just, I don't understand right. how no one has figured that out. Sorry. Okay, so, so let, let's wrap up the Auburn conversation here because oh, I do shit. think Washington as a state is more set in its priorities about the vaccine in particular. And that yes. was why they had no problem making a move on Nick Rolovich. And as a Packers fan, I will say this. I, I, Aaron Rodgers and his decisions to just not follow protocols and lie about things. I, I think the Green Bay Packers chose Aaron Rodgers and success over forcing him to maybe do the quote unquote right thing. Mm-hmm. I have very large questions about the people in the Southeastern Conference that run these big programs d- picking the quote-unquote public safety measure over success. Oh, no. We all know they don't do that. They're just going to use it as a reason to get rid of a guy that half of them didn't want. Bingo. This is where the booster dynamics with Brian Harson changed the entire conversation. If half of the people didn't want him anyway, this is is the Jeremy Pruitt thing. The state of Alabama only ever desegregated because USC rushed for like 300 yards on their ass. Like, that's a true story. This has nothing to do with the moral imperative, public safety, no, or even just basic human kindness. This has everything to do with like a lot of people with a lot of money and control at Auburn never wanted him in the first place. Moral compass is not calibrated. Moral but, compass just spins. No, just, it's, just it's perfect spin. It, let's, mm-hmm. let's bring it right back to Shiano Sunday. It is selective moral outrage. Sure, Always. of course. Selective yeah. moral yeah. outrage. And you know Whatever what? bullet you need. John Gruden would have been a much better hire morally for Tennessee. Anyway, um, <laughs> all right. I can't not take shots. I, I can't not do it. Um, do you want to talk uh, Egg Bowl or Dan Mullen? What do you want to talk about? Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen. What, what's, ha- what's the end game here? I know I asked this last week. What Something has to give. Right. It, it almost did this weekend, but they, they go on a 42 to 10 run and they score 70 yeah. points and they beat a three win Sanford team. Way to go. Um, he's obviously, I think, first of all, I'd love Jimmy Lake to be the defensive coordinator at Florida. Just the two most difficult guys to work around. Oh, oh, you're joking. On the Sorry. Same, on the I, same coaching staff. Like, well, he's also an extraordinary defensive coordinator, but my reaction, I felt a small seizure coming on. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> it'd be hard so to be in that program. What I can see right now is, um, actually I want to talk about Florida state Miami for a second, because for a very bad three and six team that was, is now I think four and six Florida state's offense is getting there. Right. They're like some of those concepts that Norvell wants to run. I'm starting to see them develop. Now, granted, Miami just sort of collapsed that game away. But hey, guess what? If Florida State's offense, and, and again, we don't do comparative week to week analysis. I just told you that, Braden. But hypothetically, if there's a team that gave up like 120 <laughs> points to Samford, um, if Florida State in their weakened condition, like they, and there's systemic issues in that program because you have to talk about the state of Florida for a second because Miami factors into this. I think by firing an AD, you're actually giving a coach a little bit more time while they while they arrange the top of the house. The state of Florida is in disarray in terms of college football. Florida should should make a firing if they want to stay ahead of the posse. Right? They can do that if they fire him now. And I think the Florida State game, maybe even win or lose will give them enough finally to push over the edge. Oh, they, they still have Missouri, right? Yeah, which is the weird, yeah. which is one of the weirdest games in all of the SEC. That's so, this weekend. Which is this weekend, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I, just, I just want to throw this out. I'm not trying to make like a bold, hot sports talk take, but like Missouri's offense is entirely competent. And again, we just saw, look, 
I had a Florida I guy. I had a Florida guy text me on Sunday, and he goes, "Was Grantham keeping it all together?" <laughs> That's ridiculous. How That's crazy the most ridiculous to think thing I've ever heard. It was I a love- sub. It's a sub five hundred FCS program, y'all. It wasn't a good team. I am. If you had looked at, if you had seen after the Alabama Florida game, the beginning of the season, if you had looked and saw Missouri on the Florida schedule later this season, you would have absolutely written a huge W over it in Sharpie. And now nothing. you're like, mm, what'd you say? I said 59, 59 to nothing. nothing. You're totally right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then this past weekend, you get, I think it was more points scored more points scored by an FCS team on a power five team, like ever. Well, it's the yes. most points Florida has ever allowed in a half ever. 42. And, and, and more than any FCS yeah. team in history, I think on a power five program. Gator, Gator, Gator fans who held that loss, the Georgia Southern thing for so long have said like several of them have said, this is more embarrassing because Georgia Southern is a triple option team. There's, there's a, there's a problem to that in terms of scheming it. It's a quality program that year. Georgia Southern team was okay, but this was more embarrassing because this was not a good Samford team. Yeah. And they didn't look that embarrassed. That's the problem. Yes. That's a good the guys point. didn't look embarrassed. They were, I understand that a win it's a hard to win a football game. It's a very physical game. Your body goes through a lot, no matter who you're playing at the collegiate level, division one football is hard to win, but very confused about locker room behavior after it. It's it it goes back and solidifies all the things we were talking about with Dan Mullen last week, which is just you're not ashamed enough of losing. You're not sad when you're losing. You're talk you're bragging about it, even if the loss isn't a great one, or even if the win isn't a great one. It just the whole attitude around it is it's all trickling down from the top. Yeah. That's a human being right now who's so obviously concerned first and foremost with whether or not it's his fault and telling you whether or not it's his fault Mm -hmm. and it's never his fault. The only thing he said that was true or at least rung true, if taken out of context of everything else he had said before that, that was not that smart was that this is a different team. You can't compare teams year to year because they are different and that is true that is something that is true for all coaches just like you win a national championship whether it be in baseball or football the team does look different you can't just expect the same thing but Mm -hmm. you're also still talking about the past at every particular every time you have an opportunity dan mullen's talking about what's happened in the past that's been good or how to deflect from what everything's going on that's negative right now it's just not a good look and it's not a good sign how do you position this program if you keep him and you go into an offseason where Georgia just won the national title? Uh, it, I mean, you have to have a rock star defensive coordinator hire and Anthony Richardson is officially your starting quarterback. But I've already like that's the only way you can do it. And, yeah, and you have to beat Missouri and Florida State. We've broken this down like and handily, by the way. Yes. Uh, we've broken this down before, but the probability of Dan Mullen, both uh, via his charming personality and the general market uh, complication of a hot D.C., only being around for right. one year and sort of right. knowing it is going to be very difficult, especially because y'all again, it's, this is, it all loops back. He's not a Florida level sec level recruiter as a head coach. And so the D I've talked to a couple of DCs already and they're like, I'd love to go in and be Florida's DC, you know, in X amount of situations, but imagine like the guns to your head, he's not going to support you because he has a history of throwing his assistants under the bus and you don't have the personnel coming in. To, get, to beat Georgia. You don't have it. Enter Jimmy 
Blake. Jeez. <laughs> They're a match made in heaven. He would beat Mullen's ass at some point. On, I, like, know, like, I know. Like, yeah. But but you know what? You're trying to find a hotshot defensive coordinator that's willing to take a risk on a one-year proposition with a guy that doesn't work well with others. Jimmy Lake's your guy, baby. There's two just, kinds of white men in this world. Ones who have been hit in the face and ones who haven't. And Dan <laughs> Mullen definitely falls into the latter. I guarantee you that man's never been hit in the face for something he said. Am I allowed to use this on the promo? <laughs> oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. Um, Believe it or not, I've been hit in the face a couple times in my life, and it I, does change I, how you comment on a situation. I, I a change man. It ch- also, changes you a little bit. I, I've also been hit in the face as well. Dan Mullen, never. You can't say I'm totally shocked. Um, Brayden. So, well, no, I mean, like. This is what my mom would ask me if I ever said that. What did you do right before you got hit in the face? Correct. Yeah. Every <laughs> single time. That's a Jan Dugan question. Yeah. Every, every single time I was hit in the face. The preceding events might something happened. Yeah, a little bit of stimulus to that effect. Here's the interesting question, though: uh, Were they both wor- word incitements? Because in my case, it was words, not physical acts. I'm feeling y'all uh, both was words. Also, yeah. I was a teen. I mean, also, also, I was a teenager. One oh yeah, them, no, I'm going back two decades. Like one of them I fall, was. I fall asleep at nine o'clock and drive a minivan. I'm not trying to yeah. act like I'm out <laughs> scrapping on Broadway right. for God's sakes. Like, right. Both. One of them was a long time ago. Yes. One of them was a. Fr- they were both around sports in high school for me. One of them was a basketball pickup game, and one of them was uh, a football player who I had r- taken his roster spot essentially and ran over him in practice, and he didn't like that, and he came after me after the. After Did you have like a, a helmet on? Because like that would make got, him stupid. Got no, eleven we, guys punch no. you in the face with a helmet on. And did you like this sounds. Brayden, did you like that Braden just got all that in on the show? That he like <laughs> yeah. stole some dude's He's like, anyways, spot. stole someone roster spot. <laughs> Listen, this was very out. This is very Al Bundy, and it's the most Al Bundy thing I'll ever do. But Maybe. I apt like it, I've never been prouder of myself on a football on an athletic accomplishment. I absolutely destroyed this dude because he'd been running his mouth at me for like a week, two weeks straight, and all the seniors were sitting there watching during this drill, and we went one on one. I just fucking trucked the guy. And took his took basically moved up one spot in the depth chart, not not even a starter at all. <laughs> but everybody reacts. And after practice, we'd all gotten cleared out and we'd all changed clothes and we were leaving. He bring, walks up to me and he's just like, what, what the hell is that about? And he just punches me in the face. <laughs> no helmet, though. No, you know, we were out of pads at that point. So that's but good. it was that's like word sort of sports related. I don't feel like that's. You know, I think it counts. Steven, tell us your story. Oh, mine is just working in bars, living in bars. This pretty much it. Just bars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> was it but I Louisiana? guarantee you the time, the times I got it in the schnooker, like it was, um, yeah, I probably deserved it. All right. So Florida, um, Dan Mullen going to be the coach next year. Not might get hit in the face this weekend. Um, <laughs> might get punched. I, uh, I would, I would, bet on him not being the head coach just because again i think that florida is um certainly proud enough and smart enough to evaluate the field and really look at what the market is telling them and again i think georgia's ascendance and continued dominance it this is not like we're looking at georgia as wow they've built a team to make a run this is a sea change we've talked about this all season there's fundamental change happening between these two programs where one is going to be the more dominant so i think florida recognizes that they definitely feel better about their standing sort of in, in terms of recruiting against the other, uh, you know, the, amongst the big three in, in the state. Um, I don't think that's as much of a factor. It is a concern. And then honestly, I just think, I think what to Aaron's point, which is a very good one, there's not a lot of energy. There's not a lot of uh, culture. Maybe, you know, maybe it's not so much bad culture, Aaron. Maybe it's just the absence of culture. And then yep. there is a professionalism about this and sort of a turnstile experience for Florida players. When you combine that with 
the biggest names they've had come through the program being recruited by McIlwain and developed by Mullen, he's been there long enough for that to raise an alarm bell. Well, culture is like consist is um, dependent on consistency and trust. And when you're throwing as a head coach, when you're throwing your coaching staff under the bus at any given term, when you're deflecting, when you're deflecting any kind of criticism and when you haven't put things in place to make guys want to play for each other or for you, you don't have any shot at it. So without consistency or any kind of trust, you can't build a culture no matter what you do, no matter what kind of meetings you have, no matter what kind of conversations you try to start. I just don't see Dan Mullen being that guy. And I think as especially with the day and age that we're in and the climate, not just politically, but just everything, you're going to, you're going to have to have something in place that makes guys want to want to play for each other and for you. And, so, and I will I say though, it. It, it, listen, it does feel like the Dan Mullen era might be over, uh, albeit with a, a lot of nice high watermarks there. Um, just not Georgia high watermarks. I, the, the question is who is that person? And you're going to have to be question. They're going to against replacement. He loses every time. Right. Right. But I'm you're hearing. still going to, you're still going to have to go find wh- whoever that might be. And it's going to be a more innovative, risky, and, you know, creative uh, uh, maneuver than Florida probably should be doing the way LSU is going after big, big names. And, and I don't know. Yeah. Um, to your point, this is, this is. goes back to Strickland. Yeah. This goes back to Strickland not being the gangster. That's <laughs> what you said. This is true. This is true. Um, um, but we need. I do to, think with, LSU whiffing on Jimbo has changed some equity distribution. Um, and I know that Florida would reset the conversation outside of it would become a, an LSU Florida conversation nationally, as I think I know where USC is headed, and it would probably just be something that wouldn't affect the SEC as much. Um, but if you're Florida, you get to insert yourself into any conversation, albeit even temporarily. So if it is right. a Matt Campbell, if it is a Matt Rule, if it is like, I mean, you get to. You, that's being you, creative to me. That's that's going down a different path. Matt and, Rule? No, yeah, Matt Rule, Matt Campbell. To me, that's not going after. That, that's sort of reset. Well, they could win Napier if they wanted. I mean, I'll tell you this as a reporter, they could win the Napier sweepstakes if they wanted to. Well, that would be, I, that's one of the few names I would move on Dan Mullen for tomorrow. I know so. that's, that's all I can think of. I'm not sure they'll do it. Like, I think part of me thinks they will, but I still have a large part of me. That's like, I don't know. All right. We have well, a weird clog going on where, where multiple major top 30 programs are all waiting on one Sunbelt guy. And yeah. it's really hard to see what's going to happen next until that, until we figure that out. Yeah. T- t- you've got Washington's a very good program. That's a very good job. So, uh, also better than people realize in the South. Yes, I, like, it's a like, very good job. I don't want to rant because I know how you get when I start talking about non SEC. Like, no, I, I love it. I think it's a fantastic job. I it's think it's a, a way better job than people realize. Yes, 100. They listen, they won a national championship in the 90s. Okay, it's, yeah, it's, like it's, I don't, yeah, it's it may be one of the, the more disrespected jobs in the South. I don't know why people feel that yeah, way, but stupid. like it, it's silly. Remember, Oregon is new money in the West Coast. Okay, so it was a North and a South binary for a long time. Washington and USC. Washington is USC in a lot of regards in the Pacific Northwest. Yes. And you can pull up a boat and watch the game. Yeah, it's actual, just like that, just like that a, Vol Navy. It's actual sail gating, where uh, as Vol Navy is like river river gating or something. They're now they're going to come after you. Yep, that's fine. Um, uh, so, uh, listen. Speaking to what what we talked, and I'm, we'll get to the Egg Bowl here, and then we'll wrap up, and we'll send you guys on your on your merry way, but. 
I am a big believer in what you preach, Stephen, and I think Aaron is too, about the, the storylines that make college football great are not all about the playoff. We can focus on the playoff and we can talk about the playoff and it's important. And we can also have this other cool stuff over here that mm-hmm. we pay attention to, like Wandell Robinson at Kentucky having a pretty pretty great season and almost is going to break all the single season receiving records for Kentucky. One of those guys that I think is a great story and people should watch is Tyler Beatty. Tyler Beatty in this Florida game. This Florida game this year, this week, like Missouri has gone to Gainesville and won with like 139 yards of offense and scored like 42 points in this series. It's a very strange series. And Tyler Beatty is an absolute superstar right now. Missouri, that's not getting much coverage from national folks because Missouri's five and five. Mm -hmm. And he's a piece that if you want to celebrate something great about the middle of the pack, 500 college football teams that make the sport fun, he is a piece that does that over, what has he got, 1,200 yards rushing and almost 500 yards receiving like he's just he's 200 yard rushing games four of them which is like puts him in extremely rare company in the sec like he is a player that you celebrate as and hold up as pay attention to this over here too because it's a lot of fun even though it has nothing to do with the playoffs so just watch the game this weekend and watch tyler Beatty because he's awesome and that that's that's sort of what we're what what you're talking about when you say enjoy the other storylines um, I would just say that um, we changed the recording time of the show based off of the playoff rankings because we sort of have to. But if you think about what we've talked about today, so, so much of it has been absent the playoff. And that makes me feel like we're having a better time. And that this, this whole experience for us and for the audience and for college football is richer for it than just constantly fighting about that stupid bracket. All right. Well, then let's do it. Let's do it even more. And let's finish on an even higher note. And unfortunately, it will involve Alabama and Georgia. More excited as a football, pure football fan, more excited for Egg Bowl, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, or Alabama, Georgia, SEC championship game? Probably the Egg Bowl. Egg Bowl. Explain yourselves. Cheap fireworks. (laughs) Um... Yeah, I don't. I mean, because I, mean, I, from, I feel like I know Memphis, what's going to happen so. in one, and I don't necessarily know what's going to happen in the other. And we know what the we know what Georgia Alabama um, matchup looks like. We haven't seen as much of this particular Mississippi State type offense and team against this Ole Miss team. I mean, there's just a lot more. There are a lot more unknowns, and the stakes. Not that the stakes of the Alabama and Georgia aren't extremely high because they are, but we've. We've seen that. I've just, the Egg Bowl is just a a big cloud of question marks for me this year, and I'm excited for it. This is the year that I feel like we're going to have a a, a 1997 incident where there was like the whole pregame scrum turned into a massive fist fight. Like, I just, I have feelings about the Egg Bowl because I am so ridiculously familiar with it. Um, we just three years ago, we had a fight after the game that involved an athletic director, like who's now at <laughs> Texas A&M. Um, like we're going to we're going to get that energy this year. I, I agree. This like, is this I, is like this I can, is I'm like, not trying to be vague. I just I I, I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen, but something terrible and weird. It'll be like all over Twitter for a week. No, this is like late night bonfire in the country energy. Yeah, bad. Like <laughs> somebody's gonna get somebody's gonna get hit with a tire iron or something. You're out. You're out on a state yeah. road, and like everybody from the schools have come together for the big party, and we have no clue what's gonna happen. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. funny that Kiffin picked um, Mississippi State to win this past weekend when he was getting to make picks on yeah. game day. He picked and Tennessee to beat like, Georgia too. Yeah, yeah, and then he said, oh, Mike Leach is like the what best offensive mind in the game. And then they act, asked Mike Leach about it, and he's like, 
I'd be lying if I said that Lane Kiffin didn't think Lane Kiffin was the best offensive (laughs) mind in the game, but I appreciate the love. There is, there is finally a mutual respect from two people who don't need Mississippi to validate them, which is the first time this rivalry's had that since I've been alive. That's a weird dynamic. And they get to kind of enjoy it with each other separate from the mania and the, the disgustingness of it. And so it's been fun to see them because like you think about the, just the ups and downs of their individual careers. And now they're both in Mississippi and it's like, yeah, wow. The locals here are really wild. Like that's, and they, they kind of shrug and laugh at it a little bit. Lane of course is always going to be a little more flippant and and faster because he's witty, but like, you know, don't sleep on Mike saying something wild as hell too. If they win that game. Just what's with the gloves, though? Like, what was with the gloves? I don't know. Like, it wasn't cold. You're wearing a visor. I can see the top of your head. It would not shock me at all. Why are we wearing gloves? If that was an inside joke or weird bet that had something to do with someone on the staff or someone (laughs) like, like, he does that kind of stuff. Maybe there was bad circulation. I have Raynaud's. Lose the you lose the circulation in your hands and feet. You never know. Then there was one guy, I think it was a guy standing on the AM sideline in like these giant Eskimo boots as well. Like that would a, be me 100 percent coat. Like it was just it was some very what was temperature fashion. game time? Like like 48? I don't I mean, think it's like it was, 50 degrees, right? Like I don't think it was that cold. Oh, yeah. yeah. Anything under 58, I'm in a parka. The southern yeah, this the southern reaction to, and it's because I married yeah, yeah, yeah. into a Louisiana family, like it's insane yeah, it's how people stupid. get it's, it's bad. Um, he, so this is, this is what's fascinating about this discussion because we both, we all went egg bowl on this. Uh-huh. What's interesting is how we talked about the Georgia Alabama matchup, that it is a foregone conclusion that the Georgia Bulldogs are going to win. Isn't that, that crazy? And that is, that to me is insane. I, just know, like, I didn't even know oh, Alabama, they don't, Alabama doesn't even have a chance really. Like, let's just move on from that game. Well, like, they always have a chance, but I know that is weird. What a weird, what a weird place to be. Huh. I just don't see how with the personnel and the Georgia and could the, fuck it up though. Oops, I didn't mean to say that. It's okay. I just I don't know how Alabama's defense does something that's entirely uniquely different or shot like I, like. I agree. I, I don't I don't see the ace card this time. Where, where's the offensive line going to get pressure? Is going to get pushed against saying, Georgia's yeah. defensive line? Like there's no the matchups are bad for Bama, and that's not something yeah. we just like normally just lay out there on the table and say, oh man, it's going to be tough. Tough for Bama. <laughs> Bama's offense is not bad by any stretch, but I definitely feel like what we're seeing with Bill O'Brien is someone who's still sort of auditioning possibilities and doesn't quite have his signature yeah. on it yet, which is funny to me because he's also being mentioned for jobs that he's not going to get. So what's Georgia's Georgia's cons- Georgia is obviously notorious for shooting themselves in the foot, even when they have the talent to beat certain teams, you know, over the course of many years. I yes. do think there's a lot to be said for winning in a very strong fashion consistently over the course of a season to build up that confidence to go in against Alabama and hopefully take away the win that they deserve to take because just the repetition, the rote memory and repetition of winning and winning in a deciding fact in a deciding way over and over again, will have, will make a difference in this game. It will, if it happens, it will be Shakespearean and nothing less. It will be at the quarterback position. It will involve the rotation that we've talked about or lack thereof between between Stetson Bennett and JT, it will be Julius Caesar level treachery and, and tragedy. It will because it's Georgia and you've got the world series. So I don't know if you're allowed to have two nice things in the same year. I, I just I don't no, know by Georgia math. We're good for like another uh, you I, know, 25 years. I so. know that's what I would be yep. concerned about if I'm a Georgia fan. Here's yeah. what I will guarantee, though. If Georgia does lose in the SEC championship game, they will beat them in the national title game. 
Well, I think you're getting what a if rematch Georgia wins in that, If Georgia wins in the SEC championship game, then they also win in the national title game. I'm not. I'm not as. I'm not as sold on that. I'm not. I as don't think. Uh, excuse me. I don't think Alabama makes it back. Oh, then. Alabama won't make it. You're right. Right. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I, I think if Georgia loses in the SEC championship game, the way they lost to Auburn a couple of years ago and then came back and adjusted two weeks later and dominated in Atlanta, I I think Georgia would taste that defeat and then whip that ass in the playoff. I agree. Probably, yeah, yeah. And it might be JT Daniels coming off the bench at halftime. Yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. A touchdown I, yeah. Overtime. <laughs> I feel like that's, yeah, I feel like that's likelier. Yes, yes. Because none of those teams is getting past Georgia no. in, in that three through no. 10 no. slog. Mm-hmm. No. All right. Anything else? We've uh, we've rambled on for long enough here. So wow, yeah, uh, we really yeah, we did. Had it. Thank you guys. Uh, of course. Uh, well, John Talty from AL.com. When we come back, you're finishing with the Jets fan. That's a decision. John, good to see you again. Returning champion. Welcome back to the show. Um, I guess let's let's start with Arkansas and Alabama. I don't think many many Bama fans circled this game as something they needed to be overly concerned about at the beginning of the year. And but I do think there is some challenge here for this Crimson Tide team along the offensive line. It just the evolution of Alabama and Nick Saban this year. We saw some issues against Florida. We saw some issues. Uh, obviously against AM, we saw those same issues against LSU. It feels like he hasn't been able to fix the problems that this team, quote unquote, has obviously relative to Alabama standards. Yeah, no, you hit on the offensive line there. And at this point, I don't really know necessarily what the fix is. You know, I think maybe they have a little bit more confidence in some of the younger guys based on what they saw against New Mexico State. But ultimately, I think it's in partly a personnel problem. And what's interesting about that is that one of the guys on that offensive line is probably going to be a top three pick in Evan Neal. So it's not like there's a complete, you know, bereft of talent on that line. There are good players. It just hasn't really come together at any point this year and has led to, you know, issues like we saw against OSU in which they can just not get the running game going. And so you have that. And then I think, you know, tied to that, you know, Alabama just lost another one of their running backs um, against Mexico State. There's just not the typical Alabama running back depth and talent that we've seen in the past. So, you know, the offensive line gets more of the, the blame, but there's some issues in running back too, which is kind of just Ryan, Brian Robinson at this point. And, He's pretty good. I mean, the stats are, are good and all that, but he's kind of just a guy in the grand scheme of things when you think about all the talent that they've had over the years. I mean, there have been, you know, I think I was looking at the stats the other day. I mean, you look back using guys like Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs, you know, it's just almost like third down max. I mean, they, they, they didn't even have to use them in a primary role. Like That's just not what Alabama has this year. And I think when you add those things together, it's led to some of the issues that we've seen uh, with this offense all year. Uh, do Alabama fans like are they obviously they don't overlook Arkansas or even Auburn for that matter I know Bo Nix is injured but I'm assuming everybody as a Bama fan is just sort of focused on Georgia um, in the championship game and certainly with last week's losses they feel like it's it's all but certain that they're going to win the division they'd have to lose both games Do, do Alabama fans like are they fearful of Georgia do they understand how big a matchup mismatch that actually is for them. Cause that's not normal for Alabama fans. 
I think it's a little bit of a mix. I think there's some fans that still expect them that that the switch is just going to flip at some point and we'll see the Alabama that we usually see and that, you know, Kirby will find a way to lose against Alabama. But I think that at least, you know, again, just the, the small, some of the small taste of Alabama fans that I've gotten, I've definitely seen more panic and fear than I've seen in a while. You know, I think, you know, I remember tweeting some stuff about the LSU game and they're like, we're not even going to make it to the SC championship game. Like this team's bad. Like, so you saw some of it, like the flip side where they're like, almost talking about it as if this team is terrible. And it's like, they're still the number two team in the country. They're just not what you're used to. So it's a bit of a mix of fans, you know, in terms of how they feel about it. But I do think that they are more fearful uh, than they've been in the past about some of these games. And I think, you know, losing Bo definitely, you know, takes the Iron Bowl down a notch. But I think there's still Alabama fans that are afraid that they're going to lose that game. I mean, being at Auburn, weird things happen. And like, just, you know, who knows what could happen in that situation. But I think that, there's certainly not the usual confidence that you expect for a team that's, you know, only lost one game, number two team in the country, and feels like a pretty heavy betting favorite to make it to the SC championship game again. Uh, uh, quickly about Auburn and, and Bo Nix. Let's say they beat South Carolina, which they should do this weekend. Let's say they lose a close one to Alabama, but they play well. Because I think, again, I think they match up well with Derek Mason's front seven going against that offensive line. I think Auburn matches up pretty well. And if Bo Nix was playing... I think there's a lot of opportunity for Auburn to actually win that game. Let's say they, they beat South Carolina, they lose to Alabama, but they play well. What, what, is, what is the takeaway from Auburn fans on Brian Harson's first season? Yeah, I wrote about this recently. I think that it's, it's a little bit of what could have been. I think that's kind of how we're going to feel about this season because if you look back at some of these games, you know, Penn State, you know, game that was very winnable. And I think Penn State has proven itself to maybe not even be as good as we thought they were in that moment. But I think that's a game that you look back, man, that could have been a big one for us. Of course, you know, this most recent game against Mississippi State, I mean, that was just a collapse. And just the, the way their defense couldn't make adjustments late in the game, I think that's another one where you feel like, oh, man, we really should have had that one. And if you just flip those two games, you know, you're nine and three, and you feel a whole bit better than a seven and five. I mean, I think we know that if you consistently stack up seven and fives at Auburn, you're going to get fired. So, I think that's kind of one of the challenges. I think I've just from talking to some of my Auburn friends and people around there, like I feel like I've sensed a lack of enthusiasm just from that Mississippi State game. I think it swung things so much for them because even winning that game, lose to Alabama, you're eight and four. You can build off of that, maybe get a little momentum going on in recruiting. But to finish the year seven and five, going to probably a not great bowl game. And then, you know, right now they're still, you know, like number 12, I think, in the recruiting rankings. So unless you see a lot of movement there too, all of a sudden you might see some fans kind of getting, you know, frustrated after just one year. So it's crazy in the SEC how one game can, can really sway things. But I think that Mississippi State game, that loss is going to loom over this offseason. So um, you're suggesting that Auburn fans are reacting wildly with emotional swings one way or the other is what you're suggesting. There's a little bit of that happening, but again, and okay. right. I think some of it's not, I don't think it's irrational too, because I think that this is not a bad team. I mean, I think there's, there is more talent, I think coming back on this team that I think people have given them credit for. And I mean, look, Roger McCurry is probably going to be a first round pick in defense. Like there's some talent to work for. And I mean, the SEC is super hard, but you know, losing the Mississippi state again, that's just one of those games you really can't lose. And if they were to lose to South Carolina this weekend, which I don't think is outside the realm of possibilities. I think it's definitely possible then you're really going to see some people upset heading into the off season. What happens? Any idea on what happens uh, December 8th? I mean, I think it's, it'll be interesting. Uh, it's one of those things that's just kind of looming over things, you know? Um, so 
I mean, I think it's been quiet. Uh, there hasn't been any interest in addressing it from that side of things. So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll find out, you know, I guess that's kind of where we're at right now. Oh, the world we live in. Um, Georgia wins the SEC championship. Who, who's the coach of the year in this league right now? I know, I know award questions are kind of silly, but I'm just curious who you think's done the best job. Well, I think what's interesting about the coach of the year in particular is that we typically give it to people who overachieve rather than just do well. So like if Kirby goes undefeated throughout the year, I mean, I think he probably would be very deserving. Do I think he'll get it? Probably not. I mean, I think that, uh, I think Wayne will certainly be one that we'll think about um, what he's been able to do. I mean, if you look at, He's not going to win it, but I think out of some of the new guys, I think I've been really impressed by what Josh Heibel's done. I mean, I think he clearly just doesn't have the pieces needed to, to win completely, but they've, I think, overachieved a lot. And I think if he can recruit at a little bit higher level, get that depth kind of rebuilt, I think that there's some, some bright future at Tennessee with Heibel. So, I mean, Pittman, I'm sure we'll get some talk to, I mean, I feel like early in the year we were thinking Mark Stoops, I think he's faded. So, uh, you know, Jimbo just lost so I think Kirby and Lane are probably your two leading candidates at this point um at least off the top unless I'm forgetting somebody obvious those are the ones that kind of jump out to me no I think I think Hypel will get some votes I think you're right um but yeah I mean it's like it's one of the few times where the guy who wins the championship actually did the best job coaching Ser- serving up that rat poison by the way since week one <laughs> to, to his Georgia Bulldogs um uh, let me get your thoughts on Jimbo Fisher I I just sort of, I've been workshopping a theory because we know his offense is extraordinarily slow, but it's very complex. It's obviously, he's very good at sort of developing quarterbacks and we've seen Calzada grow over the course of the season, but even on defense, watching them get dominated by Ole Miss, there are certain guys that feel like they can handle the modern schematic world, like Derek Mason's defense and Alabama's defense both did a good job against Ole Miss because Ole Miss is all about this rhythm and this tempo and this geometric stress they put on your linebackers. Is it is it like I said, I'm workshopping it, but Jimbo Fisher feels like a really good coach who's a great recruiter, but sort of just doesn't feel modernized enough on either side of the ball to sort of capitalize on the talent he has. Am I am I is this a a fool's errand here to sort of workshop and work through this theory or do you think there's something to it? Well, I like that you're, you're kind of squatting on this tape, which I like. You're getting ahead of the curve, uh, which, which is good. You come back and, and own it. I think it's interesting. I mean, I've been really impressed in general by what Mike Elko's done. I think before this game against Ole Miss, you could say that he's maybe had one of the most impressive years. I mean, just in what they were able to do against some of those other teams slowing down Alabama. I do think that Ole Miss's defense is one of the more complex, you know, out of any to deal with. Um, and so that is a challenge. And I think that the Alabama game is interesting because I almost feel like this is my take that I'm workshopping. I think that Ole Miss, I think Lane had like too much time on his hands coming off the bye. <laughs> I feel like he was just like, he was just kind of revving himself up so much. Like, oh, I'm going to do all kinds of crazy stuff. And like, maybe got away a little bit from what they needed to do. And I think certainly in that game with all of those fourth down calls, even if the book said to do it, like you could tell it was just going against the grain of the momentum of the game. And so he was kind of, I think, coaching on tilt a little bit, uh, which maybe allowed their defense to look a little bit better. Um, but I think if you back up, there have been multiple times that I feel like I have felt similar to you about Jimbo. And then it seems like whenever I feel that or even put that take out to the world, then they win some big game and it's all like, oh, Jimbo's back, you know? Right. And so that's, I think it's been interesting. I think you could say the same thing. We'll see what happens at the end of this year. But I think there was a point where you could say something similar about Kirby and that 
you know, before he hired, I think Todd Munkin, it was like, man, is he ever going to have a good enough offense to take advantage of how well they're recruiting? You knew of his recruits, they're always going to be in the mix, but does he have what it takes to get over the top? I think this is the year that he gets over the top, but Jimbo, I think there's a similar thing. Like he's going to recruit good enough that they're going to finish top half of the SEC every year, should be competing for the SEC West close to every year, but does he have enough to get over the hump, which I think is kind of what you're getting at. And I think it's a fair question. You know, I don't know if there's, there is enough to, you know, to do that. I mean, certainly he'll put himself in position, but I don't know if it's any guarantee he'll ever win at the level that Kirby or Nick, you know, will win. Even though he's got the same players. Um, I just the image of Lane Kiffin sort of in that, that Christian Bale, like the big short mode, like si- sitting in like, un- you know, underwear and a t-shirt with like a toothbrush hanging out of his mouth, like at 2 a.m. working on his computer analytics. Like that's the image I have now of Lane Kiffin with too much time on his hands. Like, no, and I think that's kind of what I think of too. It's just like, it just sometimes you can just outthink yourself. Like you had maybe an idea and then it's just like, oh man, what about this? And then like, like, and you don't have anybody to kind of be like, whoa, 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 take it easy here. And he's like, let's just do more and more and more, you know? And that's kind of how I feel like, yeah, they just kind of got off kilter there. John, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. We do appreciate it. Uh, we'll be talking soon and, and thank you for your time. Thank you. Awesome. Appreciate it. That was John Talty of AL.com, of course. Always love hearing his insight. And, yeah, we talked a lot about it on the show today with Brian Harson. He talked about it. We, we don't really know what's going to happen on December 8th. <laughs> we, we shall see the, the self-imposed deadline for, I guess, understanding or knowing if he's vaccinated or not. So I guess we'll find out uh, on December 8th altogether uh, as a college football collective. Like early Christmas, earlier and not nearly as fun. <laughs> right, right in between the SEC championship game and the Heisman Trophy. We're going to get knowledge of Brian Harson's vaccination status. God. Hooray. Um, Yikes. Aaron Dugan, uh, where can people find you? And Fringe Element is brought to you by? Oh, all at once? Yeah, do it all at once. You can once. find me, um, Aaron underscore Dugan on Instagram and the Aaron Dugan on Twitter. And Fringe Element is brought to you by Jasper's um You've had a pretty good show today. If you want to sit this one out, I think you're okay. Um, because you, you feel like I shouldn't. You had a you had I don't a great want to ruin one. Ruin it, but I also a, don't want to be a little bitch. <laughs> I don't think that's what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that seems that's a little harsh. Uh, on yourself, I feel. Like. I know, but you go gotta, to Jasper's. No, no, I'm I'm doing it because okay. I don't want right. to. I'm not backing off. Fringe element brought to you by. Jasper's a glimpse into a world of opportunity with not parking. great with but I parking. tried and that's the important part and and I thought it was I thought it was exceptional and there's free parking just like the food it, it was exceptional the happy hours are exceptional they got gift cards all kinds of cool stuff so go to Jasper's uh, it's a great place to eat. Uh, take the family, take the kids. Great place to to meet after after work for happy hour. Watch the game. Chimichanga and Bushwhacker combination. What else? Recommended do you and what required. Else, what else does a girl need? No. <laughs> Chimichanga and a, a Bushwhacker. Pre- a prerequisite to a great day. <laughs> oh man! Thank you guys all for listening. Thanks to Stephen Godfrey. Thanks to Aaron Dugan. My name is Braden Gall. Thanks to John Talty as well. Go to Jasper's, everybody. This has been Fringe Element on the 440 Sports Network. <laughs>